What's up, Sound Gang? It's a pleasure to have you back again. This is Sound Perspective, the podcast where we explore how sight and sound combine, chatting with filmmakers, sound designers, artists, the whole shebang. Uh, I'm your host, Alfred Faber. I'm a sound recordist and sound designer, bringing hot takes about movies with my fucking weird monotone voice. Uh, The grip who works at my school complimented me on this podcast the other day. He said, Alfie, I fucking love the podcast. I love what you're doing, but you sound like a robot. So thanks for the feedback, Boshi. Uh, I always love to hear it from the fans. Um, Speaking of constructive criticism, if you haven't left an iTunes review or rating yet, please get on it. I need those stars. Uh, Alternatively, let me know what you think of the podcast uh, at my email, uh, contact at soundperspectivepodcast.com. This episode was a super special one. I talked to director Mike Green about his upcoming debut feature called Outback, uh, a psychological thriller set in the Australian desert. It had a really awesome soundtrack. It was an indie feature, but it had a star-studded team of soundies, either working on it or giving input. Um, Wayne Pashley, who I interviewed for episode one of the podcast about Mad Max Fury Road. Robert McKenzie, the Oscar-winning sound designer of Hacksaw Ridge. And John Simpson, a hugely prolific old-school Foley artist. Uh, When I knew I'd get the chance to go back to Big Bang Sound Studios and chat to my old mate Wayne... I couldn't say no. Uh, If you ever get the chance to work with him, you're in for a treat. So without further ado, here's director Mike Green, sound supervisor Peter Clemson, and re-recording mixer Wayne Pashley, having a yarn about Mike's film Outback. Okay, we're ready. Ready. (laughs) Uh, So I'm here with uh, director Mike Green, uh, sound designer Peter Clemson, and mixer Wayne Pashley. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Hello. Everyone. So we're here to talk about uh, Mike's newest feature, Outback. And it's your first feature, right? Yeah, first Yeah, one. cool. So can you give me a bit of history of your career as a filmmaker? Yeah, it was, I probably feel like I've come to it late. Like I never did film school. Uh, although I did apply to both VCA and AFTAs and get rejected, um, and just kind of went about making short films instead of reapplying. So I've probably made three or four short films, and they've played in various places. Last one premiered down at MIF and played around um, the world a bit. And, you know, always with the eye of, like, um, wanting to make a feature and kind of um, have a career in the feature world. And, um, Peter, can you tell me a bit about your career in sound where you started and stuff yeah so nine years ago uh i w- i did a course at north sydney tafe i did two courses at north sydney tafe and uh one year at afters um from then i did about two years of a work experience did a lot of short films eventually met rob mckenzie did a couple of films for him then there was a bit of uh, a bit of a gap so i did some lifestyle and reality tv so i started at shine after that finished, I did some, I think, two more films with Rob. Um, did And then after that, did about three years at uh, the Post Op Group and 
Then after that, I did about two more years doing some more freelance work. And then eventually, yeah, met Mike uh, through Rob and did Outback. And now I'm working at Beyond. So, yeah. Mike, how did you know Rob? I was on a film called Truth and I was the director's assistant on that. So I spent a lot of time obviously in the shoot and pre-production. But when the director came back from the States for the mix... I looked after him there as well. And I was kind of helping coordinate the kind of ADR schedules of um, a lot of the cast, anything that they missed. So I was in up at, I think it was stage one at the time and um, spent a lot of time with Rob and kind of watched him work and, uh, you know, picked up a lot of amazing kind of tips and bits of knowledge. He's such a wonderful person in how he shares his knowledge Mm. and he's very embracing of, um, I guess, you know, up-and-coming filmmakers Mm. and very supportive. So a big fan of Rob and uh, Monica, his partner. They're just wonderful, wonderful people. So, Mike, from the people I've talked to who've, you know, made their debut feature in Australia, it's pretty difficult to get up off the ground and the enough funds and whatnot how, how how long did it take you to get outback happening yeah no I, I, I agree with that it is really hard to get films up um i think everywhere it's not just australia um i think like firstly you need a script you need the skill set to be able to make it you need to have the people skills so there's many facets to getting a film up but myself in particular on the back of the short films i'd been working on a couple of feature scripts and we had one that was kind of close like in that still low budget range that under two million type um budget and nicole kidman uh, announced a project angel of mine which on the surface sounded very similar to what we <laughs> our film so it kind of like took the steam out of that and yeah. i had wifey going back to work from maternity leave so we had like a six month old baby mm. and i had a little bit of money put aside and uh, kind of reverse engineered Outback to be able to made at a certain budget range and shot in like a really compressed amount of time. Mm. So, you know, I I kind of described the film and the project as uber designed and kind of tailor made to be one low budget and two shot in a really small amount of time because I knew that the post-production I could take a bit of time in putting it together Mm. with wifey going back to work and me kind of having to be more hands-on at home yeah. uh, that I, yeah, I could put it together and post uh, over a longer period of time knowing that I've got the film shot in the can yeah yeah and um Wayne I've hello I've talked to you before uh, yes, don't need to so. ask you about your history in the world of sound but um how did you hook up with Mike on this one um uh Mike contacted us uh, uh quite some time ago and uh, basically just send us a Vimeo link to take a look at it, see if we'd be interested in um, coming on board. And uh, Libby, uh, my partner and business partner, um, and I watched it over a weekend and we were quite blown away by it. We thought, wow, what a, uh, an ingenious, low-budget you know, um, enterprise that Mike, we had not met Mike before and we just really loved it. We thought the, the performances were fabulous. Mm. The direction was fabulous. And, and what was sort of clear too, was there was a sense of, um, uh, complete authenticity about what the film was and what it was for. And mm. uh, there wasn't any sort of magical sort of, you know, what we're going to do. It was clear 
that this was entertainment, popcorn film, and it's uh, you know with with all with all the bells and whistles that um, is straight up entertainment. Mm. So by that, I thought, uh, and so did Libby. We thought, you know, this this guy's knows what he's doing mm. in in this current distribution market and what people want to see in in terms of uh, you know. Uh, content and one thing and another. So we saw the film and um, we jumped on board and said, yeah, we'll, we'll you know, we'll mm-hmm. help you out. Yeah. I, I really agree with you there in that it's a great concept for a low budget film in that it seems like you just kind of got a bunch of really good, really strong actors with a good script and went out in the desert together and shot something Great. And you said you managed to do it in a pretty short amount of time? Yeah, we shot it in 10 days. No way. 10 so like days. In, I'm glad it came across like that because probably at the start of the shoot, you wow. know, it wasn't a, a well-oiled machine. And yeah. I think if I can just add to that, that is another thing that completely, like your reaction, Alfie, yeah. blew us away. Yeah. We could not believe the quality, the content and mm. the, uh, you know, the the energy of the film was was done in, with with such restrictions. So mm-hmm. that is a big big sign to me that uh, Mike is obviously going to do enormous things in the future. Yeah, yeah. And um, did you get much um, rehearsal time with the actors, other than ten days? The initial casting process, I kind of put our lead. Um, girl Lauren through like a boot camp scenario where I filmed her with essentially like a chemistry test mm-hmm. um, with a couple of other actors so I took them to Coogee Beach um, essentially ran them up and down the beach and kind of see how far I could push them had it, um, our DP along with us Tim Nagel and he shot it all too so we kind of go back and cut something together almost uh, somewhat like a proof of concept teaser type feel to to see how they'd perform and um, yeah so the rehearsal period after that really was making sure that the two leads that we ended up casting got along well because it was going to be such an intimate shoot and also a mm. uh, story uh, because of the way that the story unfolds with the two characters. Mm. But actual rehearsal time, no, we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time. Did a bit of um, work with the dialect, different dialect coaches, mm. which was wonderful. Were there any other influences you had for this film? The original concept was kind of born of um, that film Open Water where you've got the two, mm. the, the couple left in the water and yeah. they kind of left there to fend for themselves and the sharks get them. So the original idea was Open Water in the Outback. Mm. So it's a two-hander and um, we'd have two Americans in the Australian Outback mm. and essentially, all, well, I won't give away too many spoilers, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was one reference film and Touching the Void, the documentary, Mm. Uh, was another one where they've got a lot of reenactments and uh, you know really intense kind of um, grueling situations for these human characters to be in and very physical and there's also that kind of mental breakdown that takes place but amazing film or documentary from a sound perspective as well Mm. Uh, just what they do Mm. and how far they take it Mm. yeah Mike what I found really interesting about this film is that there's a lot of uh, Australian films that kind of focus on the hostile nature of the Australian desert and a lot of the time they kind of reflect that through um, a very sparse minimalist soundtrack to reflect that space but this film was like so full of music and like 
there was very little empty space in the soundtrack, very kind of dramatic scoring. And I was just wondering what led you to make that creative decision. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Alfie. Mm. And I think it goes back to something Wayne uh, said is like, I kind of want to be entertaining mm. and whether yeah. it be story or character mm. development, but kind of keep people away from looking at their phones, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the name of the game. Yeah. But yeah, keep the story moving, keep um, the sound evolving, keep the music evolving as the characters evolve. And it's all stems from story and character for me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all our decisions, I think, across the board. Peter, what were you trying to do to um, to achieve what Mike was just talking about with it um, being a very fast-paced film and moving forward? Um, so when Mike originally pitched the film, what sort of stayed with me was he said, it was, it's very simple, he said, this is kind of like a Friday night Netflix you know, glass of wine with your partner, entertaining psychological thriller mm. for an uh, international audience, so like an American audience. Mm. And he wanted to sound like a, he wanted the sound to be like an American bold soundtrack. So I think the idea was to try to make it sound like an American film. Mm. So that kind of stayed with me. So with that, with thinking that, I kind of felt my intention was, well, firstly, I kind of, what I thought that meant or what I got from that was we could make this Outback sound however, you know, whatever we want it to sound like. So yeah. it was mainly a lot of the decisions were that I made were based on dramatic and emotional cues mm. rather than this is what it sounds like. Mm and tried to push that as far as I could without it sounding like Star Wars or mm. sci-fi. Yeah. Um, there were things that were super realistic, like the actual sounds, um, the sounds around the city and the airport. I actually went to those scenes, sounds, uh, places and record the sounds. But once we got to the outback, I kind of... Um, what I thought in my head was... Um, I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And I basically waited for someone to, to stop me. <laughs> um, I, yeah. and, and, you know, I, the way I kind of worked with Mike was there was no, I kind of went all out and there wasn't like a fear of getting rejected or um, I think Mike appreciated when, even if something was really wrong, you appreciated that I went all out and I really went for it. So a lot of the car passes had massive, you know, thunderclaps on them and made all these crazy whooshes and we'd go too much and then Mike would bring it back and focus on what was more important in terms of the story and um, kind of steer me in the right direction. And... Um, then Wayne did a really good job at basically, um, you know, smoothing things out and um, having that uh, fresh perspective to make decisions when we got to a point where we just spent, we've spent too much time on it and we didn't know what we were listening to any anymore. And yeah, so I guess that was my intention was to basically um, hit all the dramatic and emotional cues and didn't worry too much about what it would actually sound like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Wayne, as uh, as Mixer, were you part of the process of being delivered a whole bunch of stuff where they had gone all out and then stripping it back and being an advisor to that process? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, I thought Peter did an extraordinary job because it was very unconventional mm, in the yeah. actual track lay itself. So um, where where you would expect a certain sequence or a scene to be covered for um, a, an authentic, natural sort of thing, that was never the case. So on each uh, each scene I got to, there was possibly... I had to make some decisions mm. on on if I put in everything that was there, uh, it was going to overwhelm the characters in the story itself, I felt. So at first I kind of thought, well, okay, you know, Mike and Pete have been working on this for six months. I kind of didn't like to, you know, like impose too much of my authority on it in my position, as it were. So I kind of started the process uh, just on my own and discovered myself needing to make some big calls. So I went for a little while, waited a few days, and then I put in a call to Mike and said, okay, how much leeway have I got now? <laughs> and so, and so uh, he, gave me the, um, he gave me the opportunity then to, to take the wonderful sounds that, that Peter had done and now take it with my own interpretation. I find, I find uh, that uh, I don't discern between any um, format necessarily, be it a short film, documentary, uh, anything that uh, I, I approach, my mentality is for, um, you know, a full audience experience. So I know no other way than to do it in terms of... Uh, a cinema experience. So, um, so that's basically, you know, how I approach all projects, um, large and small. So, but this one, um, Outbacks, uh, certainly, you know, was was already set up by Peter's work um, in the in the actual material that was supplied. Already, you know, had a cinematic approach. So. There was no question that we were going to go big or go home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the only way I can do it because it's it's what I'm feeling. You got to, you know, I've got to look at it fresh and and take it purely on, on feel, you know. And if 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 the if I'm starting to fall off the wave, there's something wrong, and I've got to find out what that is. And so yeah, so it was a it was a bit of picking, um, going through. But uh, all in all, what Peter had offered up was. A very unconventional track lay, but uh, extraordinary sounds that I'm hoping for that that the intent that Peter was after is still there, mm. you know, um, because certainly on a psychological step from a psychological standpoint for the characters, um, I think it's very successful what he's done, you know, and uh, gotten into their heads rather than necessarily the truth of the environment or whatever. It's it's about their their slow decline um, mentally as well as anything else. Mm, that's such a good way of putting it because you phrased it exactly right. The way I perceived the film, Peter, is that um, so much of the sound design is focused on their psychological state and following their emotions as the characters through it. 
mm. as opposed to aiming for realism. Like one of the most memorable part memorable parts of it for me was um like when the guy is really hungry and uh you know he's got this stomach rumbling and stuff but it's so kind of over the top in the way that gave it a real impact and i really liked that um and i mean a huge part of the story is the arc that they go through and as wayne as you said the kind of descent of it um and how else did you try to reflect that in the story back on the page like we i did a lot of research and people mm. getting stuck in deserts and kind of um being hungry or not having eaten or had water for you know a, a large amounts of time so i guess put on the page um being out with the actors kind of talking them through what's going on and just being in the environment and just being receptive to everything there but then actually getting to the sound design oh gosh i don't know trial and error <clears throat> excuse me trial and error and mm. um really just putting yourself in the situation of the the characters and what's happening to them physically emotionally uh psychologically and then you know trying not to repeat yourself trying to evolve it and mm. Mm. keep the story keep the the characterization coming and just changing it and keeping it interesting but authentic i think is the key so you did a lot of research into the kind of physiological effects of not eating and being stuck in a desert basically yeah and it's just interesting, interesting how yeah, yeah you you're the thought process and like rational decisions uh you sorry you can make an irrational decision seem rational you know when you're dehydrated what people mm. do is just yeah. bizarre and yeah. then if you're reading it or with someone that is dehydrated you kind of you know they they're not aware that they're delusional or Mm. Uh, making poor choices which is quite often how these people find themselves in these situations yeah so it kind of compounds yeah so um justin bell your composer he must have had a lot of work to do because as we talked about the film is just kind of a lot of score and um was he working in america or did he come over here for that yeah uh, so justin is american based and uh, he's worked with a lot of Australians just by chance and uh, he works with the Wachowski sisters a lot and a lot of other uh, big time filmmakers so it was really uh, exciting to have him involved and um, yeah really blessed to ha have him make the time and see uh, the potential in Outback uh, mm -hmm. to get him on board so yeah he's a massive co for us. Peter was this your first feature as well? Uh, as sound designer because I saw your IMDB and you've done a lot of as like sound editor and stuff but um was this your first feature as sound designer yeah this is my first feature as yeah sound designer mm. yeah and for with, a feature film yeah yeah how how did you find being designer for a feature as opposed to a short what was that jump like for you uh well i didn't have to really supervise anyone because it was myself for most of the time <laughs> yeah uh, we, we got a lot of help um we were well, at, at the beginning it was it was just myself but then we got a lot of help later on with john simpson um and then darren and um andrew miller um, here at Big, Big Bang did um, some dialogue editing and foley editing. So yeah, and then Wayne mixed it, but it wasn't 
we didn't have people work on we didn't have a lot of people work on it at the same time so mm. from that aspect um probably a good opportunity or time to mention rob too rob mckenzie mm. and yeah. his um relationship with the film pete you can probably chat through that yeah, so Rob let me use his home studio to... Really? That's yeah, great, yeah. Yeah, so that was very um, nice of him. And he would come in sometimes and, and watch a couple of scenes. And um, I remember there was one time he came in and he was like, just play me a scene. Um, it was at the end of the day and I just played it at the start and he just ended up watching the whole movie. And Really? Yeah, yeah that's cool. Um, yeah, Rob's been fantastic through the whole process, yeah. and Monica too, his partner. Yeah, because um, on a lot of weekends we are over at their place. Yeah, and uh, they've been <laughs> like extended family for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like their adopted son almost. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne, what what did you find it uh, as someone as a really experienced mixer? What were you able to bring to people doing a feature for the first time? Um, well, I suppose, oh, well, that's really probably a question for Peter, but uh, just try to um, uh, uh, just stay on point, really, just to remind yourself always about the onward movement. I think that um, Mike said something before, which was interesting, and I remember thinking at the time, okay, when you've done a trick, if, you, if you, you've shown your hand, don't show it again. Mm. And whenever I felt that there was something that was going to be a repeat, that I had to find a way out of that. So you know, there's the palette that Peter offered up was so um, uh, so creative and so interesting. And, and you know, and I just sort of find that sometimes when you know if something is too interesting, you've got to find that you, let's, let's not get too interesting here, because mm. that could equally pull you out. Mm. So. I just found uh, as, as the development of the film went along, I just had to find ways to keep that progression. And, uh, and that includes music as well. So when I felt that the music, the music was fabulous, by the way. Mm. And Justin uh, had a wonderful roadmap for me in terms of uh, where he wanted his instrumentation because it was quite widely stemmed out um, with the instrumentation, but he kind of had a really nice uh, map for me where he would, you know, put certain things in the surrounds, this left and right, this maybe a bit of this in the center and blah, blah, blah. So I followed that map and it, it was very successful. But by the same token as well, sometimes I felt the music, you didn't need it. So, you know, uh, I'd go through and I'd drop an entire queue and wouldn't tell anyone until Mike saw it. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I can't remember if I warned you or not before you saw it, I'll just let you suffer. But, but, and, but I needed to get a, a, you know, from what I felt, you know, from, from what I did, because I was on my own uh, for a good part of the mix, and then basically presented it, and you know, when it was time then for, for Mike and Peter to come on uh, board within the process, and we started, um, you know, fiddling and, and, and going under the hood. Um, I, th I think that that's hopefully for, yeah, the, the question that for a young sound designer um, uh, uh, starting out on a feature film like this, I hope that maybe Peter's sort of seen, you know, what I've done and maybe learned something. If not, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> if I can add to something too, Alfie, mm. 
Wayne very early on spoke about flow, mm. flow in the film, and mm. that's something I've taken on board in a big way. Mm. And like Wayne has brought so much to the end product of the film. Uh, you know, just getting behind it initially is emotionally for a filmmaker, just, you know, I can't thank him enough for being involved mm. and uh, Libby as well and Big Bang. But um, like my, my process seems to be throw a lot at the scene or at, um, at a moment and then kind of like use reduction mm. to find out where mm. that level is. But mm. at least, you know, you've pushed it as far as you can. Mm. And sometimes you push it too far and, you know, you make mistakes. But Wayne, I think, kind of reeled us in where needed. And, you know, like he said, sometimes took music out. I think the most intense scene, he pulled music all the way out and just played it to us. And it's hard to argue when you watch it and just go, oh, wow, that's great. And um, there is so much sound and music in the film that kind of in the most climactic moment, we've pulled the music out and it's just, you know, creaks and groans and kind of a bit of sound design. Yeah. And um, it pays off dividends. Mm. So there's mm. times to go quiet, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's difficult, even though you are after that sort of American aesthetic of quite in your face and um, unrealistic, I suppose. You're not searching for that realism. Um, it's still possible to kind of do it too much, I guess, to yeah. be too heavy-handed with it. Yeah, look, and when I hear Americanism, you know, I hear entertainment. I don't kind of hear Americanism in its kind of, you Culture. know... Culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just always want it to be entertaining, and they're the mm. type of films yeah. um, I guess I want to watch. Not all the time. You know, I love the small kind of deep, depressing Art indie dramas. Fancy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's probably, you know, where my heart lies, yeah. really. But it, it's showbiz, yeah. the way I see it. When we were talking about flow earlier, it made me think of this thing I read, a quote from Glendon Ivan recently, where he said uh, on his first feature, what he struggled with was that when you're making a short, you can kind of always have in your head what's meant to be happening during any shot and you don't need to depend so much on kind of paperwork and written records because there's not as much material. But when you're shooting a feature, there's just so much that you have to get and there's you're filming it out of order and stuff that it's difficult to keep a track of what you want each moment that you're filming to be. And did you find that? Was it difficult transitioning from a short to a feature in that way? Yeah, it is tricky. Uh, luckily, we were shooting in sequence, more or less, the whole project. Oh, that's good, yeah. Yeah, one for performance to just try and kind yeah. of keep that in check and to build it. Mm. Uh, but we did have to shoot, I think, two or three scenes out of sequence. So, yeah, very much the case. You're tr making sure that you're kind of coming into the scene with the right kind of emotional headspace mm. and the right energy mm. and um, getting out. And I guess giving yourself options in the edit. Uh, but, yeah, no, that is tricky. And, you know, Outback's a feature, but it's probably a simpler feature to shoot in that regard mm. versus something with flashbacks and time jumps and, uh, and an ensemble cast. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's hopefully when you've got storyboards and yeah. a team of people behind you to track that <laughs> and ADs and costume people yeah, 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 yeah. versus uh, the six people we had. Mm. I was really impressed to see in the credits John Simpson as Foley artist because um, he's a big name in Australian sound, isn't he? He's done a mm. lot of stuff. What was he like to work with? Was he very comprehensive in what he gave you guys? I found that with 
and I'm sure this is the same with a lot of folly artists is they can't you kind of have to let them do their thing mm -hmm. um, I gave him some specific notes of what was important um, and what we needed but I felt like it's just best if you just let them do their thing and because that they're, they're working so quick and they're so experienced so that was the best thing about John was he could get so much great usable stuff so quickly whereas if I tried to do it it would take probably a year to do what he does in you know two weeks um just because of his experience and he, yeah he's just it was really a lot of great stuff really quickly mm. so I felt like that was the best thing about um John and I guess using any kind of folly artist as well you know because this was a discussion with with Mike I was I was when we were talking about ADR and understanding that once you ADR some stuff you have to replace everything and even if you use the sync you need fully to sweeten the sync to make it sound better mm. for a feature there was kind of an understanding that we really needed a folly artist and I remember Mike was he was you know he said that he would make it happen which mm. was great and when I heard John Simpson was doing it, I was like, oh, awesome, you know? Mm. And yeah. And I guess it was kind of good that, like with everyone, with, with Wayne and Darren and Andrew, you, d you don't really have to tell them. I would ra almost rather not tell them um, what to do or, or, or what it needs to be because um, everyone brought their own kind of sensitivity to it. And one of my biggest fears was that the film would sound like it was made from one person mm. uh, with one collection of sound library with one sound library doing the same thing, mm. which um, which is kind of what Wayne said as well. Is once you do one thing, you can't do it again. It's got to be different every time. So um, that was the best thing about using different people. John's been a great supporter of mine over the last um, couple of short films and yeah, um, yeah um, tremendously talented and very privileged to have him on board the project. Mm. Mm. Actually, um, I'll jump in too because I, I, it's reminded me that I did see the film prior to Peter. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah so cool. I saw it very raw, I mm. remember at the time. And Libby and I were a little worried. One of the biggest fears that we had was the dialogue. Because the ground, the, the actual earth that they were walking on was so dry. I don't think I've heard dry footsteps like that probably ever. Like they were so out back that I've sort of feared that uh, yet you needed to ADR because the feet were loud. That The, the crunch right. was yeah. so, so loud yeah. against the dialogue. So I knew there was going to be, um, there was going to be uh, uh, you know, a fair bit of ADR. There's a wandering around the outback there. And, um, yeah, and for early discussions, I, I actually mentioned Fowler to you as well because to replicate the actual truth of that earth mm. um, wasn't going to be easy. So when John came on and did it and Peter and Mike um, had gone ahead and done the ADR mm. to, for clarity reasons and one thing and another, when John's stuff came in, uh, I was so thrilled because it was like, wow, he's okay. He's clearly has a Foley stage with that earth. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, really, it, was, it was really exciting to see that it, it was safeguarded mm. by John's work. It was yeah. really great. 
the fact remains that those feet crunches in that sort of environment, which was part of the story in itself, mm. um, were actually quite terrifying. Because yeah, you don't yeah. hear footsteps like that in your normal <laughs> city life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was extraordinary. So that that sort of movement under the earth with the bracken and the thing and the dry clay and all that stuff, um, yeah, it's it's like it's it's a, it gives me a feeling of horror. Mm, you know, yeah. that you're stuck in that. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, Mike. What's what's happening with the film now? Where is it going? It just premiered at Monster Fest. We we do in oct- uh, October, so oh, we cool. haven't yet. Cool, and cool. then it does a five state national tour with Monster Fest. We've got oh, a limited theatrical release lined up for early March twenty twenty. Hmm. But kind of bubbling away in the background, there's some news of um, a US studio picking us up for a release um, for US and Canada, and cool. then there's a bunch of other territories lined up to. Um, take distribution all across the world so it's it's still being finalized but um yeah it's very exciting yeah awesome awesome all right guys thanks so much for taking the time to talk thanks thanks good on you thanks to wayne for hosting us at big bang in rosebury here in sydney and for mike and peter for giving up their time to come on the podcast Thanks as usual to JD Legulon for the music and sound design. Outback will be screening for Monsterfest, a film festival that starts in Melbourne in October and travels around Australia till the end of the year. Do follow Outback on Facebook to keep up to date with where you'll be able to see it. Uh, catch you next time. <laughs>